You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 27 of Fantasy Football. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports, and sports into something that we don't talk about here. And this is the big week. The big kahuna week. The big oh boy, oh wow, this is what we've been waiting for for 13 years week. This is the week of Avatar The Way of Water. And today we're going to be talking about the film and whether it delivered or not, and before we really get into it, Dylan, did it deliver? How was your week, and did Avatar blow you out of the water? My week was great, and Avatar met my expectations and by far exceeded them, which I can't wait to talk about a little bit later in the podcast. And that's our review. We're done for today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, no, we're going we're gonna to talk about it so, so much more. But, of course, as always, uh, we, we like to start our weeks with a question, and because we saw Avatar this week, and because we're in the theater having an experience going to, you know, worship at the altar of James Cameron, I want to think about my best theater experiences of all time. So I want to ask you, Dylan, what has been the best experience you've ever had in a movie theater? That's just a great question, because I feel like this is such a difficult one as well because you can think of like what's the most memorable what it was the funniest what was the one that hit me the hardest emotionally but i'm gonna go with one that may not hit the nail on the head exactly with this question but it's one that sticks in my brain a lot because the first ever time i went to a movie theater was to see shrek and i still remember going oh, nice. there seeing it because i remember we went out to red robin or something afterwards that was like right across from the movie theater and i don't remember anything about the movie itself from that time but i still remember going there that night and leaving and just that experience of going to see like my first ever movie in like a big movie theater sort of thing and uh yeah that would be my one like kind of like sentimental pick but i've had to go with something that's more recent that i can like pinpoint exactly why it would have to be at the film festival this year when i saw knives out on opening day or glass onion that is and it was just so fun to be there uh involved a lot more than i've ever been at the film festival get to see a movie i've been so anticipating throughout the year and just to be there on opening night to see this movie so much early than a lot of other people and just be like, it's a really good movie as well. Yeah, that's, those are great answers. I mean, I think that there's such a, a special feeling about thinking back to being a child and having that first movie before you even really knew what movies were. That's, that's such yeah. a special experience. Thank you for sharing. Because, uh, yeah, my, my first movie that I ever saw in theaters was Stuart Little 2. Oh, uh, yes. And apparently I ran out of the theater screaming um, because there's a scene where, like, this hawk swoops down at the mouse and it comes towards the camera and apparently I got out of my seat and ran uh, and started screaming, run away, everyone get out of here. Because um, I, I was like, 
I don't know, like, two at the time. I was freaking out because of the... Yeah, that's not my most memorable movie experience. Uh, mine has got to be... I... It's another film festival one. Uh, mine was when I saw First Man at TIFF. I saw it in the Cinesphere IMAX Theater, which is the world's first permanent IMAX theater. Uh, it was developed as part of an amusement park, so it's literally amusement park cinema. So I get there, I'm with my girlfriend and my roommate, and we sit down, we're there a little bit early, people are filing in, and there's this family that sits like five seats away from us, just a little bit to the side. Um, and my girlfriend and I are like, okay, we're gonna, let's hop over, go grab some concessions. And so we're walking across the aisle and we walk past this family and my girlfriend trips and she falls on the guy who's there, uh, the, the father in the family, because it's uh, a man, his wife, and his teenage son. And she falls and tr like face plant, not face plants, but she falls on this guy. Uh, and she's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then he responds, he's like, it is okay. Got a, he's got a Quebecois accent. That was a horrible Quebecois accent. I can't do it. I know Arno is going to listen to this, and he's going to fucking roast me for that one, and I deserve it. Um, and anyways, I look at, I get a good look at this guy, and I start being like, I, I recognize him. I, I know who this is. And then my heart drops, because I'm like, oh my god, I know who this is. And so we're walking to concessions. My heart's pounding. My heart's pounding, pounding, pounding. And I go on IMDb. And I look, and yes, it's him. And I can't focus on anything. My girlfriend's like, um, do you just want to go back to the seat? And like, I'll bring concessions back. And I'm like, yes, I, like, I, I'm freaking out right now. So I go back. I walk past this guy. And as I walk past, I look at him again. And I'm like, yep, that's him. I go, excuse me, sir. Are you Denis Villeneuve? I guessed in my head. I guessed in my head. <laughs> wow. And he goes, yes, I am. And I said, I'm a great admirer of your work, sir. Thank you very much. And I just go and sit down. And That's the so people cool. in front of him look back and go, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And the people were getting him to sign their tickets for First Man. He's like, this feels weird. Like, this isn't my movie. Like, I'll sign yeah. it. But, like, this is Damien's movie. And then I saw the movie, and La La Land is a movie that made such an impact on me. It's literally the reason why my fiancé and I are together. Uh, she's the one who tripped on Denis Villeneuve. Um, and so, yeah, I, it was such an emotional experience for me. Being in the same room as Denis Villeneuve, uh, being in the same room as Damien Chazelle. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my most memorable movie experience ever. Uh, yeah, that's really was, cool. I want to leave you hanging a little bit to be like, yeah, Quebecois guy, I'm freaking the hell out. It was Denis Villeneuve that she tripped on. Uh, wow. Which one day when I meet this man, for real, I'm going to reveal him with again. his story and say, yeah, we tripped on you. He's going to be like, oh, I remember. You're the fucking asshole who <laughs> outed me while I was with my family and exposed me. Um, yeah. I like that Super story. memorable movie experience. I will say, while meeting Denis Villeneuve is really cool, at least your Stuart Little experience wasn't in IMAX 3D because that mm. would have made the Hawk even more terrifying. Oh, imagine if it was in IMAX 3D high frame rate. My little child brain would have just exploded. It would have been <laughs> Realistic awful. Hawk coming to kill little Maddie. Absolute awfulness. Uh, but yeah, no, it was... 
yeah, and at least I didn't run out of the theater in first man in front of Denis Villeneuve screaming, everyone run away, get out. Get out of here! Everyone! Um, yeah, but that's... I, I'm hoping I get to meet Mr. Villeneuve again to... Fucking Arno met him, so, you know, like, maybe one day I'll, I'll meet Villeneuve again. <laughs> Dune Part 2 at Dune TIFF part next two. year, possibly. Dune Part 2, I'll trip on him again. I'll make a point of it. I'll, I'll just absolutely faceplant, like, yeah, like nuts. I want to start a trend of people just falling on him when they see him. Like that scene in Bardo, where everyone yes. just falls. Uh, it's that whenever Denis Villeneuve walks into a room, everyone just collapses. Cinema right there. That's cin- cinema that in is, real life. That is cinema. Um, life imitates art, imitates life. Boom. Boom. Right there. Uh, but anyways, let's let's get let's get into our, our film ball update of the week. Obviously, we're still playing the game. We're still going through all of this. We are um, in our league right now, doing well. Uh, I'm just going to go through some of the stats and talk a little bit about team breakdowns right now. So we're going to start at the very bottom of the list. Dylan, I'm so sorry. You are currently in last place. I don't think for much longer, though, uh, because you just have a couple more films left to get on the board. Uh, So right now, Dylan is in last place with 1,804 points. We are getting up into those big boy points right now. But honestly, I think your team's looking really good. After this week, we know that Avatar, The Way of Water, is a Best Picture player. We know that Elvis is a Best Picture player. Both of those films are going to continue to soar, and I, I don't think you're going to keep that last place spot for much longer. I think you're you're climbing up. Despite Bardo being your first pick, you are really on the rise right now. Uh, and then in fifth place, we have Austin. And Austin right now, uh, he's waiting on critics' points for Babylon, but really, honestly, at this point, Babylon looks like the last real Best Picture contender on Austin's team, because uh, he also has The Whale, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Greatest Beer Run Ever, After Sun, My Father's Dragon, yada, yada, yada. Um, so honestly, right now, I feel like I feel like Austin's going to kind of fall back a little bit as we go on. Uh, and then in fourth place, we have Mr. Brother Bro. Um, who, honestly, despite having the Sun as his top pick, he's got some real bangers on his team, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his second pick was Top Gun, which is performing extremely well and will continue to perform well. Uh, Glass Onion, as well. And, of course, The Dark Horse, RRR. So that's three films still in the Best Picture race. That's pretty good. And he currently has 2,105 points, uh, which is you have a 300 point gap between fourth place and sixth place, which is really not bad at all. Then in third place, we've got Arno. Uh, and now I know Arno has been talking down on himself a little bit, uh, about how, you know, things aren't going so well. He's got women talking, which is kind of going downhill and awards prospects a little bit. He's got, she said triangle of sadness, but you know what? I don't think things are all bad. I think she said still has a shot. Um, maybe not as very strong shot after his poor showing at the Critics' Choice Awards. But you know what? Women talking, I still think that is a very strong contender 
for many, many categories, even if it's kind of falling a little bit. I don't know. I don't think Arno is like a surefire last place like he kind of thinks he is. I think he's he's still in the running, not to win, but to do very well. I think everyone's going to do well. We all have very balanced mm-hmm. teams. And I then agree. In... And... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I agree. And then, I mean, to hype up Arno a little bit more, he has all the beating the bloodshed, which is still going to continue to get some documentary points. And yes. with just how frugal that race is, it ultimately may still be the winner after being the early front runner that drops off. It could easily have a resurgence and come back and still win that award. Absolutely. And Arno has 2,142 points. So only 30 points more than Brother Bro at this point. Uh, and then in second place, currently, it is me. Uh, with 2,675 points. And that's honestly, my entire team is being held up by me having the top two films in the game right now. Everything Ever All at Once, which Everything Ever All at Once currently has a point total of 797 points. Uh, And Tar as my second place, which has a uh, total of 750 points, which is pretty wild. Honestly, I really lucked out with those. The rest of my team is not performing extraordinarily well. Um, Living and Pinocchio are doing kind of good, but overall, my entire team is held up by the first two films. Meanwhile, in first place, leading me by about 100 points, we have Film Drunk. Film Drunk is currently winning. He's got the Fablements, which currently has 602 points. He's also got Banshees, which currently has 700, uh, not 700, 676 points so really you look at it i feel like everyone at least the top four of us me you um film drunk and brother bro we all have multiple best picture contenders at this point which are going to continue to carry us you've got avatar and elvis i've got everything ever all at once and tar film drunk has fablemans and banshees brother bro has Top Gun, RRR, and Glass Onion. That is plenty of stuff to go around and kind of keep Mm -hmm. this race incredibly competitive. Yeah, what I think is most interesting is what we discussed during the draft itself. That third round is where a lot of these sleeper best picture contenders come from. Because if you just look at how the round went, you have starting off at the beginning of the third round, you had Pinocchio, which doesn't look like it's going to get into best picture. But the pick that you had right before that was Tar, which is. So that's kind of like that borderline end of second, beginning of third. And then you go to Arno, who had Triangle, which looks like the sole one that doesn't really look like it's possibly getting in. And then you go to Austin with Wakanda Forever, same type of thing. But then you get Elvis, then you get Banshees, and then you get Glass Onion, which are three very strong-looking movies for Best Picture at this moment. Honestly, I think that there's something to be said here that the third round really is the sweet spot for those films that are looking really strong, but maybe not over-the-top strong. These are the films that they're on people's radar, but they're not expected. You know, and the thing that I'd say about that that makes them so interesting to me is because since they're not expected, they're fresh. You know, they're not the types of films that people are saying for months and months, these are Oscar contenders. They're the films that are going to become Oscar contenders because they're just fucking good enough to be. Right? So, I don't know. It's like like with um, with Banshees. The only reason people thought that might be an Oscar contender was because McDonough had just done three billboards. But otherwise, there was nothing about it that screamed 
Oscars. Or Glass Onion, same thing. Like, it's one that people said, it's gonna be fun. Is it gonna be an Oscar movie? Elvis, people had seen and been like, yeah, it could, or it could be forgotten. And the pattern that I see there is that the things that people kind of don't expect at the beginning of the season are the things that end up making a splash because they're doing something a little bit different. Yeah, I just really anticipating what next year's third round picks will entail. Is that going to be where we see some just off the walls type stuff or are we going to start to over predict those movies that we're like okay maybe or maybe not just because of what happened this year and last year and the year before absolutely it's it's a really hard balance because we learn lessons every year but then the lessons we learn are oftentimes proven wrong in following years so you can never fully you can learn as much as possible but again this is a predicting game this isn't about knowing the past this is about being able to hopefully predict a little bit of the future uh and we're never gonna know what's gonna happen there's always gonna be things that break the rules there's always going to be things that come out of left field that we would never expect and that's the fun of this that's why we do this that's why we have a show talking about this because it is so interesting and unexpected and it keeps us on our toes well speaking of predicting let's dive into that a little bit here with this next segment on the show so last week, we obviously had a whole bunch of craziness go on. We had the Golden Globes. We had the Critics' Choice Awards. We know so much more about the Best Picture race this week than we did last week. Dylan, do you want to sum up for us right here, sum up for the viewers at home some of the developments that we've had in the past week, and like what, what are we expecting now from the Oscars? Honestly, the biggest thing I take away from the past week is I think there's a definitive top nine. And those mm-hmm. nine feel pretty safe. To run them down in no particular order, we have Way of Water, Banshees, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Maverick, Fablemans, Elvis, Tar, Woman Talking, and Babylon. Yep. Those nine, they feel pretty secure, whether that is a Golden Globes nomination, a CCA, a NBR, an AFI. Almost every one of those movies at least hit two, if not three, if not all four. What that brings us down to is that now, just like Matt said, tricky number 10 spot. Because in my eyes, there's yeah. four movies still hanging on, battling for that. Some other people may say, what about this movie? What about that movie? But to me, there's four movies for one spot. And that's what makes it so interesting because each movie, mm-hmm. I think, has a good case. But some cases are a little bit stronger than others. Yeah, and just to recount everything, uh, so Everything Everywhere made everything, right? It made AFI, NBR, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice. So did Banshees, so did Fablemans, so did Avatar, uh, so did Top Gun. Elvis missed one. I know that, right? Because it made yes, Golden it Globe, it made Critics' Choice, but it Elvis missed... and Tar each missed one. Yeah, Elvis and Tar each missed one. Then we've got Women Talking, which missed the Golden Globe nomination, which uh, has set it back quite a bit. And then Babylon, which missed both AFI and NBR, but made Golden Globe and made Critics' Choice. So, that's nine films right now. And obviously, when we say it seems pretty locked, it seems, but a ton could change. Things could change. We don't know that that's a locked nine, but uh, at this point, it's looking pretty damn good for those nine films. So, what's number ten? Let's break it down. So, like Dylan said, 
the two of us see four films that could make it in. And then we'll kind of toss out some other ones that might be contenders. So the first one that we want to talk about here is The Woman King. Uh, Mm -hmm. So The Woman King, obviously, very, very well-reviewed film, especially by audiences. It's got that coveted A-plus cinema score. It also got a Best Director nomination from the Critics' Choice Award. And it also landed on, was it on NBR or AFI? I know it was on one of those. It got both. It It got got both. both. Damn, it got both. That's really good for it. Uh, So yeah, it got both of those lists, but it missed the Critics' Choice Picture lineup, and it missed the Golden Globes. It was like highly snubbed at the Golden Globes. So it's got some stuff going against it. It's got some stuff going for it. Uh, This film could get a lot of below-the-line nominations. And again, clearly has some stuff going on for it with it getting those NBR AFI nominations. What would you say is, like, your argument for this film possibly being a contender? For me, the biggest thing The Woman King needs to submit itself for that 10th spot is it needs the SAG Ensemble nomination. It yes. needs Viola Davis to replace either Michelle Williams or Margot Robbie for that fifth slot. It yeah. needs, some, like you said, below-the-line nominations, whether that is costumes, production design, hair and makeup. I don't think it has a chance for sound, but maybe sound. Uh, those are really the, all the places where it could show up, plus obviously actress. But that's it's just a weird thing with this movie, because this is a movie to me, it's felt like this for a while. If this came out in like November, December, this is yeah. easily in the Best Picture lineup. It just came out so early. And mm-hmm. all its nominations are ones where it's borderline. It's not number one or number two in any of those categories. It's either five or six in all those categories, which it could either be six in all of them or be five in all of them. And it could end up getting four or five nominations, or it could get blank slate and get zero i think that's also the reason why this film went so late in the game Uh, like i'm just looking at it now and film drunk got this film seventh overall um not seventh overall seventh Seventh round round. this was the 41st film drafted and that's not because the film didn't look good it's because the film had a september release date which is not a good look for a film to be released right after tiff so yeah i i think i agree i think this would have had more legs if it came out later but really above the line this isn't getting a director nomination this isn't getting a screenplay nomination the most it can get is actress above the line and is that enough to get into best picture i don't know and it's it hasn't been getting some of the critics love that we're hoping for with a film like this um missing golden globe that's rough for a film as populist as this one uh missing the uh, critics choice picture lineup especially after being in director that's tough for a film like this if it misses pga i think it's done but that said if it gets sag ensemble if it gets pga this is a strong contender for that 10th spot definitely the Woman King is just so interesting to me because, like you mentioned there, you and I were not the highest on this movie before it came out. That September release no. date looked iffy. The marketing for the movie also looked a little bit hit or miss. But once the movie came out, we both switched our tune. We both were huge fans of this. And it's we're like, great. We it's want so this good. to do well. We just don't know will it. And that's kind of what we've seen over the course of the season because it has hit big in BR, AFI. It's also missed big with CCA and Golden Globe. But one thing that keeps me like with a little hope with this is to dig into that CCA Director 10 lineup. 
Yeah. Does like, a lineup of 10 really help us? Not really, but the fact that this made it in over some of the other people who missed shows that some people really do like appreciate this movie, and it's definitely going to be in that either first or second like type t type movie missing out on the picture nomination. It's just, does it have enough passion to get over these other three that we're going to talk about? It made it in over Joseph fucking Kaczynski. Mm -hmm. that's, that's showing something, that there is passion for this film. But is that passion going to be in the right place? Is it going to be in the Academy? I don't know. Yeah, to me, this seems like the number 13 movie at the moment. This is like the last of this bunch that we're going to talk about here. But I, I agree. easily see this overperform and it get in for Viola Davis. It gets in for costumes. It gets in for hair and makeup. And if the Academy really loves this movie, they could pull a 1917 and give this that fifth slot for original screenplay because Babylon could underperform. After Sun's just too indie for them. Triangle of Sadness isn't their thing. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I would say it's definitely in that lineup of 10 for original screenplay, but it's not like number five or number six in my eyes at the mm. moment. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you there. I think that there's a world where this vastly overperforms, but I just don't think it's this world. Uh, so we said this is number 13. I want to move to number 12. And in my mind, I know a lot of people are going to strongly disagree with me on this, but... I still see a strong narrative, despite the fact that it missed Golden Globe and Critics' Choice. Critics' Choice it almost missed entirely, which is really, really brutal. Um, she Said. She Said is the next one that I have kind of going on here. Um, what's the argument for this one? I mean, it missed Critics' Choice basically entirely. Uh, it almost entirely missed Golden Globes, except for getting Carrie Mulligan the nomination there. Um, did it get... It got one of the supporting actors. It ones. just has AFI. That's all it has, this award yeah. season. It has AFI, and it has Mulligan at Golden Globes, like you said. And it's, like like you said, on paper, this is a very hard sell. It's a very hard case to make, because you can also bring in the claims. This bombed at the box office. No one cares yeah. about this movie. But... This movie just seems so much like what they would do. And I understand the whole, like like, like I just said, it bombed. It's missing out of MBR. It's missing out of Golden Globes. It's missing out at CCA. But Mulligan getting in at Globes and like it getting nothing else there still shows me signs that people do care about this movie. They care about her. And for its Oscar case, it needs Mulligan. It needs Adapted. Which is a, it's it a lock for Adapted screenplay. And it probably needs something else, and that's where I could maybe see a Nicholas Patel love for the score come in. Yeah. Get that fifth slot. The score is such a tough category this year. I don't know if we can get in there. She said to me it's always been that either 10th or 11th movie throughout the whole season. It just bounces up and down depending on what yeah. the other movies seem like. And I'm just not ready to give up on it yet. I know all the signs are saying move away from She Said, but She Said also could just be that movie that just sticks around all season long. Most people who see this movie, they don't outright hate it. They don't outright love it. But they give it very strong sevens, very light eights, very mid to high eights. This is a movie mm -hmm. I think could play very well across a lot of ballots, being a lot of people's numbers nines, a lot of people's numbers tens, where some of these other movies we're talking about could be their number twos or threes, but also could just miss their list entirely. This is a film that I actually see doing very well with guilds when we get into the industry awards. Keep in mind, this is a film built for industry. This is a film padding the backs of voters for being like, hey, good job. We're done with Weinstein. We've fixed the problem. This film's going to perform much better with guilds than it ever was going to with the HFPA, with the Critics' Choice Association. Um, this is going to really... I think the test is going to be, does Carrie, Mullen, uh, does Carrie Mulligan get 
that SAG nomination. Does this film get in at... I mean, WGA happens after the Oscar nomination, so it's useless anyways. But is this film getting into some of those guilds? Specifically, is it making it in at PGA? If it makes the PGA 10, that is extremely good for this film. But that said, it's not looking likely right now. It is dropping fast. But I think the reason why I just keep hanging on to this film is that it really feels like it's going to appeal to voters. The narrative mm. is so strong. Yes, they have really dropped the goddamn... Universal has completely fucked up this campaign. Completely fucked it up. I uh, mean, they've messed up everyone's campaign, but they have this shit. Whether it is Fable Mints or She Said, or even Nope for that extent as well. Yeah. Yeah, they've. It, it's a disaster. Like, there's no reason why this film should have been such an enormous flop and why it should have missed these different awards with the reviews that the film has with the subject matter of this film it just it's really odd that this film is flopping as much as it is in awards season uh, because it's an important topic that obviously hollywood is going to want to talk about so but i don't know it's it's falling maybe it's generous to have this at number 12 maybe it should be below the woman king at this point yeah I would say if you look at the stats, it should be below Woman King. But you and I, like we've mentioned here, we just had this feeling that it is going to perform a little bit better. It yeah. has a guaranteed screenplay nomination, which I think a guaranteed Locked. screenplay bodes better than a possible hair, a possible costume, a possible yeah. production, a possible actress. Well, like we mentioned before, Woman King could get like five nominations or it could get zero. She's at the minimum is getting one. And I think Carrie Mulligan's pretty – I don't want to say safe, but she seems yeah. pretty good. But – yeah, especially in so that weird. shit show of a category. Yes. It's, it's not on her if she misses. It's just that the category is a disaster. This next movie, though, has someone that I think could be the case to either knock out Carrie Mulligan or keep Carrie Mulligan in because this next movie really has a lot that could go for it, but also yeah. kind of like The Woman King has a lot that could just not happen. Yeah, Glass Onion. It's an interesting one to think of because this film does not feel like an Oscars movie. And I know, I know that we say that all the time with films that are very much Oscar movies. I know that's the whole argument people keep leveling against everything ever all at once. It doesn't feel like an Oscar movie. But what I mean by that is that Glass Onion is such light entertainment. It is such excellent, breezy entertainment that it's a bit odd thinking of this as... I don't know. It like it is just a very fun cinematic thrill ride. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, and, and it kind of, I guess, something that has been hurting it all year long and preventing me from putting it in best picture is that Knives Out, the first one, which got similar if not better reviews than this one, it only made it into screenplay. And I guess my question is, what can Glass Onion get outside? of picture and screenplay. And I guess that the answer there is Janelle Monáe. We saw it got uh, it got costumes at the Critics' Choice Award. I don't think that will happen again. Uh, but maybe production design. Outside of that, though, there's not a lot of non-potential for this film. Yeah. The th one thing, though, I know is what everyone's been preaching all year and you and I have kind of ignored, but now it's becoming more and more clear. Netflix doesn't really miss... This is Netflix's horse. It yeah. has MBR. 
It has AFI. It has Golden Globe comedy. Just the issue where I see is it missed a screenplay at Golden Globe. Janelle Monae missed for supporting actress, which I feel like yeah. they would have been a guaranteed win if they were in that category. And this film has just been missing just weird nominations throughout the season, but also has been picking up weird ones as well, like that random costumes nomination at CCA. This yes. is one that I think is going to come down to nomination morning. They normally always start with supporting actress. So I feel like we get our answer right away. Janelle Monae is there. Glass Onion, I think, is it. Carrie Mulligan's there. It be- comes down to the next movie we talk about or She Said. If neither are yeah. there, it's the next movie we talk about. Like you said, it's Netflix, and is Netflix going to miss? Something that I definitely have said in the past couple of weeks is filmmakers miss, studios don't. So it's always more important to look at the studios behind films instead of looking at the filmmakers behind films. Because, you know, this year we see Empire of Light, like, fucking... What? And people were predicting that based kind of on Searchlight, but also based on Sam Mendes. And filmmakers disappoint us, studios don't, because Searchlight still has Banshees. So it's not like Searchlight just doesn't have a film in. Uh, and yeah, I guess Netflix maybe doesn't flop. So we'll see. We will see. But this next movie, this is the one where I feel like a lot of people were really doubting, you and I included, and now it's really yeah. showing its strength. It's showing its power. It's showing its might these last few weeks. It's hit at a lot of big places. And that movie is RRR. Do you want to talk about why we Ooh. both have this in as our number 10 spot at the moment? Well, let's just talk about the trajectory of this film. It got director at the New York Film Critics Circle. And that's what started this whole avalanche. Director, New York Film Critics Circle. Runner-up for director, Los Angeles Film Critics Circle. Following that... It landed on the NBR Top 10. Following that, uh, it missed AFI, but then at the Golden Globes, it got nominated uh, for Best Song and Best International Feature, where it's going to win. Um, That's not an overperformance. It could have shown up in Comedy Musical, but it didn't. But then at the Critics' Choice Awards, this is where it's really gotten real. It got the VFX nomination. It got the Song nomination. It got a director nomination. Yes, in a field of 10, but that's still a mention. It's still going to be visible to Oscar voters. It's showing them, take this film seriously, watch this film. And then, the big shocker, it got into the picture lineup. Um, Also, not to mention, it also got international film there. So, right now, we're seeing a scenario where RRR is being watched. It's being talked about. The campaign is working. And the argument right now for it making picture is it can make PGA. It can overperform again at BAFTA, for example. And it can continue getting these nominations. Critics groups are going to keep giving it Best Director. Uh, It's going to keep popping up there. It is looking like, if not fifth place for Director, it's sixth place for Director. It is... Like, right in there. And if it gets director, that means it has the visibility to get a picture push. So, I think the argument here is that it just has consistency in nominations. Yes, they're not very big nominations, but it's going to keep getting song. It's going to keep getting international feature. It's going to keep getting all of those all the way to a possible Oscar nomination. I mean, look at Drive My Car last year. Drive My Car, uh, it won the trifecta 
But it didn't get NPR. It didn't get AFI. It only got International Feature at the Critics' Choice Awards. It only got International Feature at the Golden Globe Awards. So already, RRR is doing better as an international film. It has the visibility to make it in. But the question is, will it? Can it push all the way? Or is it just going to max out at, like, you know, song and VFX and that's it? That's the real question because at the end of the day, like you said, song seems pretty likely at the moment. It hasn't missed everywhere. There's been a consistent four at most places, and Not Do Not Do from RRR has been there. VFX this year seems like there has room for something like this. Is it the best part of the movie? Maybe, maybe not. But it's a place for people to really it's who cheesy, love this movie it's fun. to nominate it, to give it more visibility, to be at scenes. So that's two nominations that we see there. Mm-hmm. Director's another thing. Just the case of director this year is director's kind of a tough category. And I know I mentioned this to you before. I feel like RR has a better chance for a picture nomination than a director nomination. I, I feel like if it shows up in director, it's 100% in picture. But it can make picture without director, where normally it's the other way around. Where, like last mm-hmm. year, people were saying, oh, Hamaguchi seems more likely for director than picture. It got both. This year, Rajamuli seems like it could get in, but it also seems like it could miss. And let's think about who would be voting for this film. It's action filmmakers. It is, like, studio executives. It's people that want S.S. Rajamuli to keep them in his good books because they want him in Hollywood. They want to steal this man from Tollywood. They want to take him and bring him to Hollywood and put some of that goddamn Rajamuli magic into Hollywood cinema. So, really... The interesting thing here is, yes, it's not looking like it's going for a lot of nominations. It's not getting cinematography. It's not getting editing. It's not getting sound. It's not getting all of those things that we would typically see a blockbuster get. It's getting song, VFX, possibly director, possibly picture. And that's possible. That package is possible because the people who are voting for this are producers, executives, and directors. And producers and executives, their branch does not vote for anything except Best Picture. So we can totally see this film get in here without a whole lot of other support. Yes. And that's why you and I both have RRR as our current 10th slot. The last question I want to ask you here before we move out of this topic is, if this was not a normal year of 10, how many movies get in for Picture and which movies are them? Because to me, Uh, I think this would be a year of nine. Okay, you're eight, I'm nine. I'd I'm say including Babylon. Babylon. Gets okay. I would include Babylon at this moment. I could see that changing in the coming weeks, but at least at this moment, I feel like it has enough technical support to make it in, but I also could see Babylon misses eight. Yeah. No, I, I could see Babylon completely missing. But that said, like, it's so interesting now having that fixed 10 because we see a lot more possibility. And in that way, a lot more disappointment. Because some of these films that have just, like, small but very passionate groups behind them, those are the films that we're going to get our hopes up about. That normally we would just go, eh, there's no chance. Um, But right now, like, I can see myself going into Oscar morning being like, yes, RRR is going to be there. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. And then being heartbroken. Like, last year, I convinced myself that Drive My Car was not happening because I didn't want to feel the pain of it missing. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get my hopes up this year. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll keep my expectations low so that I'm, I'm not disappointed no matter what. 
So Dylan, you saw the inspection this week, finally, after all this time. It is on your film ball team. Uh, let's just quickly discuss, like, what were your general thoughts about this? I saw this movie at TIFF. I really liked it, and I know you've been highly anticipating this for a while now. Yes, and I really enjoyed it. I fully believe Elegance Brands are going to do great things, and you can yeah. see the seeds here. There's so much creativity. There's so much passion. There's so many little things throughout the movie. Like My favorite thing about this movie, though, was its style. I just love how mm -hmm. you know this story. This isn't a new story. While it is a very personal story to Braddon, like the, the arc of the story isn't something very new, but I just love how he brought a new flavor, a new type of feel to it. And that's all encapsulated by Jeremy Pope's amazing lead acting performance in this movie. And I'm just so happy. Golden he Globe nominated. Some, exactly. He got recognized at some major award bodies with the Golden Globes. Will he continue to get recognized? Out of hope for CCA. That didn't happen. We'll see. But I'm just glad he got something. He's amazing in this film. And I really enjoyed this one. The thing that I like about this movie is... So the inspection... Obviously, this is the story of a young gay black man who joins the army uh, as a way to hopefully prove to his mother something to her. To hopefully gain her love and her respect for him. The thing that I like about this film so much is that despite the expectation going into this film being that oh we're gonna see this man suffer homophobic attacks we're gonna see him go through endless torment the film ultimately is not about that and what i appreciate so much about the film is yes it acknowledges these problems but at the end of the day the thing that makes this film so special is that it's not a film about pain. It's a film about finding self-acceptance. Because if you can't accept yourself, then it's very hard to find acceptance from anyone else. Or to be happy with the acceptance from anyone else. And I liked that although a lot of these people were absolute asses to the main character through a large chunk of the film, in the end we know that all these characters have each other's backs. And that was powerful to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think the last 10 minutes of this movie really deliver on yeah. what you're kind of building to throughout the whole time, but the last 10 minutes really cements it. You see that these people do come together as a community, as a family. They're supporting each other. They may have some roadblocks along the way, and they may not be on the best terms with each other, but you realize which type of people do have your back and which type of people may not have your back. And they may not be the ones you first feel like on first instance about the people you will connect with the most. Yeah. Another thing, in addition to Poe's performance, I thought the ensemble here was great. Uh, Raul Castillo's always a great pop-up whenever he's in a movie. But Bokeem Woodbine, I felt like, was a very just scene-stealer. He's so... He encapsulates this villainous, evil-type role very well and really delivers a great foil to Pope's character, and they have mm -hmm. some great back and forth throughout the film. Yeah, the the thing that I really found interesting here is that despite the fact that Full Metal Jacket's DNA is clearly running through it in this training camp, this uh, this boot camp that they're going through in the military, it differentiates itself a lot from Full Metal Jacket. It's not just like, oh, hey, we're, we're watching Full Metal Jacket, but with a gay main character it genuinely feels like Elegance Bratton is bringing his own experience in. And he's he's mm -hmm. showing both his love for 
the military as well as the things that he kind of questions about the way that things are run which again i, I think is so interesting i i'm gonna be honest i'm not the biggest fan of just <laughs> this is a ridiculous thing to say i'm not the biggest fan of the military industrial complex like who is who is the biggest fan of the military industrial complex duh um duh. but yeah i mean this is one of the first films that kind of made me understand like it's not a film that makes me go like oh i'm gonna go join the navy right now like you know it's not a top gun but it makes me understand what people get out of uh you know being in the service it makes me mm -hmm. understand the connection and the camaraderie that is found within these places especially for people uh like the main character who are coming from very broken homes and broken lives who they find family in these places it, it's not chosen family but it's family definitely i second a lot of what you just said there french's development from the first scene where we see him walking the streets and the subways of new york to his final scene at the end with his mother played by gabrielle union is just i think a great story and it's a quick movie too it's just over 90 minutes so it's yep. a very uh, fast pace once this hits home video here shortly it's one that it has a huge recommendation for me even if this is not the type of movie you necessarily like i think there's a lot to be grasped here whether it is something that matt said about just seeing how pe why people may join the military and the marines and stuff and then just getting a lot of just great acting i feel like everyone in this ensemble really brought their a-game yeah it's it's a very empathetic film is what i'd say like it's a film that truly allows you to understand these characters to understand what they're going through uh to feel deeply for them and then in the end to feel joy for how far they've come um like i said it's it's a film that I expected going in would be about pain and trauma, but it's not. It's a film about joy. It's a film about connection. It's a film about bonds. Um, and that's beautiful. Well, what would be beautiful is some more Jimmy Pope nominations throughout the award season. Sadly, <laughs> I feel like we probably hit our capstone with that. And for other awards chances, it's just some more Elegance Brennan first feature nominations. But yeah. obviously those wins are going elsewhere to After Sun. But overall, any other places you could see this maybe pop up through the rest of award season? I mean, I I could see a surprise SAG nomination. I could possibly see a surprise BAFTA nomination for Jeremy Pope. I could see that too, yeah. But ultimately, is this going to make the Oscars? No, but what I will say is I think Elegance Bratton will win an Oscar one day. Uh, I don't think it'll be for this film. This is Elegance's first feature film. I don't see the Oscar coming for this one, but uh, it, it's going to happen. He is such a goddamn talent behind the camera. And especially behind the typewriter, behind the keyboard, whatever. This man can write a script. I can't wait for that day when he gets his first Oscar nomination as well. I am like so excited. Like, I really I, like this one. I, I just want to be, like, I'm on this guy's side. Elegance Bratton is, like... Seeing him talk at TIFF about the movie, just, this is someone who I want to see succeed. You know, I, he's just so easy to, to support. Avatar The Way of Water. We've been waiting for this film for a very long time. Did you see the first film in theaters? When it first came out, I honestly have no clue. 
I remember watching it once it uh, came out on home video, but I did see it in theaters earlier this year, and it was a right. blast then. I I saw the first film in theaters four times when I was a kid. Um, I remember I skipped school with some friends because it was one of my friend's birthdays, uh, and I went to see the first movie in theaters in IMAX at the time, and I remember being, this was before I was really into movies, I had never heard of the movie beforehand, but I was absolutely blown away. There was no one else in the theater. It was just us, and it absolutely floored me. Uh, I think it's actually one of the stepping stones for me to become into movies was was seeing this film. And then I went back with my family twice more um, with like my, my brother, my parents. We all went twice, saw it in IMAX 3D, and then I went one more time with some other friends. I, this film was a sensation when it came out. People now say, yeah, no cultural impact, but like everyone had to see this film at the time. I had like games on my phone that were like Avatar games and everything. This movie I was obsessed with when I was a kid, and it's it's here now. We've got the second it's one. It's here. 13 it's here. years in the making. Did it live up to those expectations? I know. You have some very big thoughts on this film. I have some very, very, very big thoughts on this film. So let's just dive right in. Yes, they did meet my expectations. They exceeded them. They broke everything that I was thinking of. I could not believe how many emotions I felt. I started off the movie on like an emotional high, feeling, oh my gosh, I'm back in Pandora. Look how great everything looks. It's so mm. flashy, so brilliant. And then some stuff happens, and you start to feel the emotional beats, and Say what you want about James Cameron dialogue. Sometimes James Cameron dialogue really hits, whether it's very on the nose or not. And there's just some scenes that are burst out laugh moments. There's some scenes that are very heart moving. There's some scenes mm. that are very just compelling. And I, the part I really most adored about this movie, other than the climax, which went on for about an hour and a half, which to me is so cool oh my that God. you can make a normal movie's runtime just your big fight sequence. But... I really enjoyed, I would say, probably what Act 2 is, is once uh, the Sully tribe gets to this new location. And once they're exploring how this new world works, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm loving all the visuals I'm getting. I'm loving all the story beats. I'm loving everything that's happening through. And to me, Way of Water did everything I wanted, like I said, and more. I cannot wait to see this movie again. I normally don't see movies and IMAX 3D. I don't think I've ever seen a 3D movie before until this. And Really? Um, Whoa. It was a little jarring at first, but once I got used to it, I was down with it. Did you see it in high frame rate as well? I did. I want to talk about that a little bit. I'll share my thoughts first, and then I want to talk about high frame rate, because for me, I have I have some major issues with high frame rate. Ugh. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it yesterday. I'm seeing it again tomorrow uh, in a different format because I saw IMAX 3D high frame rate. Tomorrow I'm seeing it in ScreenX 3D, maybe 3D. Nice. I'm not sure if it's 3D. Uh, but yeah, I, I also loved this film. I agree with everything that you said. Um, the thing that I was so blown away by in this movie is that it differentiates itself so much from the first one. It really utilizes very well the fact that we don't know a whole lot about these characters from the first movie. It takes what we do know, builds on it, but then presents us with these entirely different characters that we really can fall in love with. Like, personally for me, 
by the end of the film, I felt more connected with Spider and with I. This is a bad look. I cannot remember the names of the kids other than uh, Kiri, which was Sigourney Weaver. Um, mm-hmm. I I connected with the kids. I want to see more of their story. I'm so excited to see more of their story, especially knowing that the titles of the next films are The Seed Bearer, The Tulkun Rider, um, and The Quest for Ewa. I know that The Tulkun Rider has to refer to one of the kids. And The Quest for Ewa, I feel like, is going to revolve around Kiri's story. There, It's just so... There's so much potential with these young characters uh, and grounding them within Jake Sully's story. Um, but he's not the chosen one. They are. And that's so mm. special to me. I I had that emotional connection with these characters. I want to see where they go. Um, specifically Spider. I really want to see how his character continues to develop. I definitely feel you there. I thought this is the perfect example of what a sequel should be. I feel like you didn't need to see the first Avatar. You could just go yeah. into this one, enjoy this one completely on its own. Yes, it would help. I watched the first one the night before going to see this one. So I had like those connecting tissues. Like there's some like shot for shot recreations from the first one. Like, oh my gosh, that's the and same beat shot. For beat. beat for beat too. Because yeah. there were times when I was like, oh, this is the point where this happened in the first film where now they're learning a new community and they have to enter into like, you know, the the whole sequence in the first film where Neytiri teaches jake how to ride the horses how to ride the banshees all of that the same goddamn thing happens in this one at the same point in the film um which i it's just it's so there's so many parallels that just show like jimmy cameron he knows the formula he's using the formula he's saying yeah i know you know i'm using the formula but fuck you i don't care i'm doing it anyways yes i also want to echo what you said earlier about the kids um you got, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciations of these names, but you got Neterum as the older brother. You have Loak as the younger brother. And then you have Tuk as the youngest daughter. In addition to um, the one Sigourney Reaver plays uh, that you had mentioned before. Uh, Kiri. Of, uh, Kiri. And they all were so amazing. The one negative I do have for this movie is I wish there was more Neteri with Zoe Saldana. Yeah, uh, she's I like really... missing from the film. Yeah, I really missed her presence because in the first movie, yes, the movie is Jake Sully's, but Natiri is the heart and soul of the yeah. first Avatar. And I know a motion capture performance would never be nominated, but in a perfect world, she's nominated for Best Actress for in 2009. Yeah. But for this one, there is, a, there is a good portion of this three-hour movie where she's not in, but when she is on screen, she is so captivating. She steals her moments and... She just shows how James Cameron is able to craft an amazing action hero regardless of gender and can do it in such a big and inventive fashion. And I just really love this ensemble here. In my personal awards, this may be a best ensemble nomination when we do those year of end ones. But obviously, I know that's not a case for any real awards bodies. But, I mean, if Jackass Forever can get one, why can't Way of Water? I don't know if I'd go that far with the ensemble. But... They're all they're all giving their all. They're all doing very well. The characters, I think, work because of the performances. Yeah, I I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, it wouldn't be in my top five, but I wouldn't be opposed at all. But, you know, there's just so much heart in this film, and I think everyone involved clearly knows how special it is. But what I really want to focus on, just a little bit, is the action sequences. 
Because mm-hmm. I think this is where the film really shines. It's not in the story. It's not even in the world building. Because I think the first film shines much more in the world building than it does in the action. This film is an action goddamn masterpiece. Like you yes. said, the climax of this film is like 90 minutes long. And it's just nonstop. But aside from that, it has some of the most thrilling sequences in ages like some of the scenes at the very beginning um particularly some of the scenes between the enemy avatar and uh and the kids that was such a tense sequence the sequence with the shark had my heart pounding like out of my chest and the entire climax of the film is like if james cameron smushed together his work on aliens and his work on titanic into one beast of an action sequence i get the way that i feel about this whole film is that outside of ss rajamouli james cameron like james cameron and ss rajamouli are the only two directors making action at this level in the world right now Mm -hmm. so creative so like endlessly creative what i've said about rrr in the past is that like every sequence it just steps up the the craziness the insanity the level of what the fuck i didn't expect that to happen i could have never even imagined that level of action that's the same thing happening here like there were some moments that literally had my jaw on the goddamn floor i was sitting there in the theater looking like a fucking idiot with my mouth open just like in awe of these action scenes yeah i adore the climax of this movie which we can get into in a little bit but i think my favorite part of this movie i had to pick like one scene is when uh loak the youngest son of jake and atiri goes out he has to make friends with a certain group of people he makes friends and they go out and something happens with him and he has about i would say 10 or so minutes of straight screen time which just him with yeah. various water creatures and those scenes, just the way they were shot, because it was almost exclusively underwater, the way they were going back and forth between color grading and the action, the sentimentalness there just all really hit. One of the scenes is, if you did see the re-release part of what you saw beforehand and just seeing mm-hmm. it in context of the film adds so much extra weight. I just really, as you mentioned before, I really connected with all of the new characters very easily. Um, maybe that was just me wanting to, but also I feel like the movie makes it pretty easy for you to feel engaged and get connected with this group of uh, Avatar, the Sully tribe, very quickly. And once you connect, you get a good three hours with them and you can keep bonding with them throughout the story. And once you hit the end of the movie, you feel every gut punch, you feel every moment, every beat. And it ends, you're like, wait, three hours is over? This felt this felt so quick. I, it I want more. It breezes by. It breezes me- by. Give me that nine-hour cut of Avatar 3 that James Cameron submitted. I don't care. Just give it, and I will take my little intermissions in the theater or something. I'll pay a full 30, 60, whatever it is for a yeah. nine-hour cut. The level of detail in this story, the thematic parallels to colonialism. I've said it before, but I think by the end of the Avatar saga, when we get to the fifth film, when we finish the quest for Ewa, I think that it's going to be pretty undeniable that the Avatar series will sit beside Dune and The Lord of the Rings as the most detailed works of science fiction out there. Mm -hmm. Um, The depth in this world, the amount of thought that has clearly been put into every single aspect of Pandora is so evident. 
this world feels lived in. It feels massive. There's so much that is left to explore. I gotta say, I really hope that James Cameron doesn't get stuck with us being in the water because the end of the film where Jake Sully says like, oh, you know, this is it, we're home. It kind of makes me worried that the rest of the films are gonna kind of redo a little bit of what we saw here that was so special, which is the water. I mean, we know that the fourth film is called The Tulkun Rider. Um, and that makes it sound like another water movie because the Tulkun is obviously the whales in this. Um, so I, I hope he doesn't get stuck making three more water movies because mm -hmm. part of the, the spectacularness of Pandora is that there's so much to see. There's the forests. Yeah. There's like, I want to see more mountains. I want to see so I want to see all the different ecosystems that this world has to offer. I want to see deserts. I want to see how these different tribes of Navi exist across the world and how colonialism impacts them in different ways i really hope that the next three movies are not just like whaling and oil drilling is bad times infinity stephen lang he's back he as is. the colonel colonel miles he is not dead he's alive i think the way they kept him alive is very cool i mm -hmm. really because in the trailers you do see like oh is that Colonel? Yeah, it is. You're like, how? He died. But I think the way they kept him alive is very interesting. I think it adds a lot to what they can do in maybe future installments yeah. for various other characters. And I felt like he, yes, you can say he's a generic 90s villain, but this movie really levels up his character. Kind of like, as you mentioned a little bit before, about just science fiction, uh, hopping over to another billion-dollar franchise. Uh MCU, Thanos. Thanos is kind of just a generic villain for a few movies. And then when you hit Infinity War, he has so many layers and so many dimensions. And in this movie, Lane becomes more than just the big bad. He has a heart. He's trying to connect with Spider. He's trying to re he's trying to avenge his former self. And he's you can see throughout the movie he's weighing those. While he's leaning more towards one way, he's trying to do both at the same time. And at the end of the movie, that final scene between the Sully tribe and the Colonel where Natiri and the Colonel each have an opposing child at knife throat. You see the humanity in this character come through. And that's something yeah. I really hope they do dive into in a future movie. Like you're talking about Spider, will they reconnect or will Spider be someone who's always has the daddy issues for a lack of words and they're going to butt heads up or will eventually they come together and the Colonel becomes a good guy in a sense. I've always thought he's been a great villain. He's he's incredibly intimidating the first Avatar, but what I liked here, yes, they gave him humanity, but I also see in him more of his motivation. Because this is not someone who's hell-bent on, you know, pillaging this world for resources. He's not the business guy. He's just an, a military man with principles. He's not so different from Jake Sully. Jake Sully also has principles. He's also a military guy. But with Quaritch, what's so interesting about his principles is that he is mostly determined to not be weak. Weakness mm -hmm. is his enemy. And so he he's not someone who needs to... He doesn't feel the need to destroy Pandora. He's not ideologically involved. He just needs to win. That's it. That's all he cares about. When he crushes his own puny skull of, of his human self, that's him saying, well, this version of me was weak. This version of me didn't have the, the 
guts to do what he needed to do. Yeah. I do. And I think that makes a fantastic villain because it's someone with the drive and the principles. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's fascinating. I think he's a great villain. I cannot wait to see where his story continues. I like the fact that he made it through the movie. Um, I do too. I do. And I like the way he was saved too with Spider being the one to save him to help maybe set up a future installment where they do reconvene because they do part paths here at the end. But you can tell they still do both care about each other even though it is very estranged and a very difficult type relationship. But we talked about the spectacle. We've talked about the plot, the movie itself. Now let's get into some of these technicals because I think almost, I mean, that comes with years. That comes with a higher budget. But I think everything was leveled up. The VFX, the editing, the sound, all of it comes together to just promote this beautiful looking project. I know you have a few issues with the, uh, the frame rate. Oh, uh, I Gemini Man it. here. Gemini Man here. Uh, but I don't know. This movie just looks so beautiful to me. And I'm really excited to see it not 3D, just to see how do some scenes look. Because obviously 3D kind of skews, especially like the corners of a frame sort of thing. And 3D but also I, dulls the colors a little bit. I just, like, there were some scenes I was like, this is like a painting. This is not an actual, like, camera. I know it's VFX, but, like, this just looks like you could frame like any like there's always those movies where people are like oh you could frame any scene of this and to me yeah. way of water feels like that yeah i i wish i i again i'm seeing it again tomorrow i hope that seeing it without the high frame rate will make me feel much more kind on the visuals of the film but actually i think that to me the visuals in my first watch were the big negative gemini man i also saw that in high frame rate mm-hmm. um that film looks like a fucking soap opera it doesn't look like a professional movie it looks like something i could have shot on my fucking camcorder avatar has the same feel to me um and despite the fact that it's got all of these brilliant visuals these these crazy visual effects that clearly cost a lot of money the lack of motion blur the smoothness of every image the fact that sometimes I'm going to say I, I didn't notice the high frame rate on very, like, slower shots. When there was a lot of action, I really noticed it. It makes it look like a documentary. Not in a great way. Like, when some people say, oh, it looks like a documentary, what they're saying is, oh, it looks so real and, like, you know, it immerses you. When I say it mm-hmm. looked like a documentary, I mean it looked cheap and fast. Um, okay. And that's not a knock on the lighting or the visual effects. It's just that the technology makes it look like a soap opera or a sports cast uh, or a video game. Like, I, I can see that. The video game thing I definitely got a feel of throughout. Like, this is like, like a cutscene of the game I'm playing on my PS5 or something like that. I get why directors like Ang Lee or James Cameron are wanting to push frame rate. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's not an experiment worth it. It's something that looks unnatural. It looks uncinematic. Because the fact of the matter is, wave wave your hand in front of your face. You see motion blur, right? You're seeing mm-hmm. blur in that image. In high frame rate, there is no motion blur, which means that inherently there's something that... It's an uncanny valley effect. Um, because we're not seeing any motion blur, it feels like the motion is too clean and it doesn't feel real anymore. Mm-hmm. So although it looks 
incredibly real, it also looks like a Best Buy TV tech demo, where it's just, like, showing you what can be done without thinking whether it should be done. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could talk about this movie forever. We could. We're both going to see could. it again. So <laughs> I feel like we should return to this discussion after we both see it again in the coming weeks because there will be a little bit of dead time where there won't be as many movies coming out. But I do want to talk about this film's Oscar chances. That's true. I was going to say we're not, we're not ending this without talking Oscar chances because, Dylan, all year long, we've done like 30 weeks of this this uh, this discussion back and forth every week talking about it, mm-hmm. and since when did we start? We started like May June. Let's look since our first. Let's say June. Yeah, my first predictions was on June first. June first. Ever since then, you've been saying that you think Avatar: The Way of Water is winning Best Picture. I want to hear from you. Do you think it will? Do you think? Do you still think it should? What's your predictions? I think those are two different answers at the moment. Should? They are, yes. yes. Very much so, yes. Uh, will, I think there is still a chance for it to win. Mm-hmm. The biggest case it needs is it needs everything everywhere to become the front runner, And then everything which everywhere hits that front runner fatigue. And then Way of Water wins the globe, which I think right now looking at just the globes on paper, Avatar seems like the best case for the globes because Fableman's – that's such a lame pick, especially for them. Elvis, you can make the case that Bohemian Rhapsody Part 2, Tar doesn't seem like it's going to win. No, Tar Maverick, if it was going to win, Cruz would be there. Kaczynski would be there. They could still pick it without them two, but it still feels weird to pick it without them two. And then yeah. at least Fablemans versus Avatar, and Avatar hit everything it needed to at the Globes. And the Globes want to make a big, like, hey, we're back. People are here. Cameron, I know people don't vote like that, but that's just a little thing in my head but looking at the the slate of nominations that this movie could get i could see getting up to nine with the floor being really six nine would include song and score which are things i'm not predicting at the no. moment but they're things i think if this movie overperforms it could be the five slot song if they just ignore rrr which i don't think they will but if they do that opens up another spot with the already diane warren and they're going to still nominate her even after giving her, her honorary one so there could be two spots there and then score if like I don't know, Pinocchio or Women Talking mm. Keeps Falling. I don't think this will happen, but there's I don't a think chance for yeah. a something spot up there. That's why I say I, I, it's best day. I think it's at nine. It's worst. I think it's hitting that five, six mark. And that would include visual effects, mm-hmm. editing, cinematography, production design, sound, picture, director. So okay. I have it for seven at the moment. Yeah, I see it getting all of those. All of mm-hmm. those that you said. So uh, seven's scary. the floor. Nine's the max when you add in song and score. Do I think it's getting that? Mm-hmm. No. I thought the score was great, but I understand why people aren't predicting it. Um, it's not head and shoulders above the first, but I think it's very good. And then the songs, I would very much encourage people to vote for song chord. I feel like that's the definition of the type of song that should be nominated in an original song. Songs that are actually in the movie and that play a part to the story. Like Natsu Natsu does that. Chao Papa mm-hmm. does that. Hold my hand, lift me up. Don't really do that. Applause. I'm not gonna see tell like a woman, so I don't know. Carolina doesn't doesn't do that. Stand up doesn't do that. New Body Roomba doesn't do that. From what I understand, I haven't seen White Noise. It's as a well, credit from song, what I know. But yeah, it's, it's a credit song. Yeah. So, song chord plays an integral part to the story, 
it opens and closes the movie. To me, that seems like, oh, we should put this in, but it's missing that places. I don't know if it's missing because there's two songs now and people who want to nominate a song are splitting between this and the Weeknd song. As a huge Weeknd fan, yeah. this song's fine. In the IMAX, I loved it. Outside, I'm like, it's whatever. It plays really well with the movie's themes after seeing that closing scene, but when you listen to it on your own, it's not really one you're going to want to re-listen re to. But yes, to your original question to end this ramble, best picture, best director, I think they're a package deal. And at the moment, I still feel good with that, but if it loses Globe, that's when it moves out because this film did exactly what I needed it to do. It is a spectacle. It's innovating. You can make the case for Villeneuve missing last year, Cameron's not Villeneuve. Cameron's hitting everything so far. Way of Water got in AFI. It got in NBR. It got in Critics' Choice. All these places like, oh, was there a screener issue or did they see it? Maybe there was, but the people who did see it were passionate enough to get it in. And Spielberg, to me, has never felt like a director winner. I, I understand the case people make for him, but he just doesn't feel like it. And I, I know people would be like, well, Daniels or McDonough or Rajamuli or something. But to me, Cameron's sitting right there and... I understand wait for three, wait for five, but the the case that is for three or five, the technical like level up from one to two isn't going to be the case for two to three or two to five. The only case there is give it to him for the last one. But as we've seen the news, we don't really know what the last one's going to be. He said, oh, I may finish one three, not direct four or five. Oh, but no, he's, finish... he's going to do four and five. He's going to do four and, then, and five. And then he just said, maybe we just ended at three and we don't even go to five. We don't oh, really fuck. know how this is going to wrap up. So... I feel like instead of playing the weight game, you just do it now. But like I said, I'm not an Oscar voter, so I don't have the same mindset as them. Just to me, my gut's telling me that, and that's the same gut that was telling me Avatar in June, Elvis in June, these are players. I read a really great article today, which was talking about the 2009 Oscar race from the perspective of the people that ran the campaign for Avatar. Um, mm -hmm. Because Avatar... And the Hurt Locker were the two front runners that year. Obviously, every year usually devolves down to it's this film versus this film. It's The Power of the Dog versus Coda. It is Nomadland versus. Uh, it's Parasite Trial? versus 1917. It's Roma versus Green Book, Shape of Water, Three Billboards, La La Land, Moonlight. Like, it goes on and on. Hurt Locker, Avatar. You had Hurt Locker, the smallest of the Best Picture nominees, the smallest film to ever win Best Picture. Uh, this is a very realistic war film. Um, it's an independent project directed by Catherine Bigelow, who used to be married to James Cameron. Then you have James Cameron's biggest movie of all time, Avatar, the studio spectacle. And the interesting thing that they were saying is that they didn't feel like voters at the time were ready for Avatar. Uh, because this film... Typically, um, like, the only sci-fi or fantasy movie to ever win an Academy Award for Best Picture was Lord of the Rings. And that took three whole years for them to get there. Um, but with Avatar, they were fighting an uphill battle the entire time, they said. And what they were saying is, originally, they weren't even planning a Best Picture push for it. They weren't even planning to get it nominated because it just seemed so unlike the type of stuff that normally got nominated. But it was the first year of 10 nominations, so they were like, fuck it, let's just go for it. Let's let's try and go all in, get a Best Picture nomination. But the issue that they had at the time was that they knew that the film would flop at the Oscars if they sent out screeners. 
because mm-hmm. obviously the academy has kind of moved off this but just picture 2009 home video technology you're sending out dvds in like 480p quality of avatar to be watched on people's like big tube tvs like flat screen tvs plasma tvs that's like a luxury in 2009 at that point so their entire like system uh and how they kind of pushed for the award was that they were hosting they hosted like hundreds of screenings exclusively for voters to be like you need to see this in theaters you need to see it in theaters you need to see it in theaters um yeah and ultimately they they lost because a lot of people didn't see it in theaters um, a lot of people were lazy and watched it at home and went, oh, well, the her- like, I don't get the hype of Avatar when, like, you had to see it in the theater because that's how it's meant to be seen. I think that things are different now. And I think that the lack of DVD screeners, the high-definition Academy screening room, is going to give people enough of the experience that they will possibly like it more. I think the Academy's more ready for a blockbuster like this in 2022 than they were in 2009. Do I think it's going to win Best Picture? Absolutely not. I don't. Um, I'm not with you still, especially after seeing it, after seeing the critic reviews. I don't think it has a stronger case than the first one did, because the first one was the Mm -hmm. first of its kind. However, a lot of the barriers that the first film faced do not exist anymore. Because Avatar The Way of Water came out, this week's draft that we're going to be doing for our fantasy film ball game is the draft of billion dollar movies we're going to be looking at unadjusted for inflation the all the movies that have crossed a billion dollars worldwide it is um it's a list of 51 films we're going to be drafting teams of all of these dylan break it down what are the rules of the game how does this work so 51 films are eligible here today in our billion dollar draft we're each going to get picks of five for a total of 10 total films taken. This is a snake draft, so because I won the last draft for Best Actor, that brings me to two wins, zero losses, and one tie for this little competition we're doing. I had the first overall pick, but then that means you get picks two and three, and then we bounce back and forth like that until we close with pick number 10. After that, everyone out there, whether you're watching on Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is, go to Twitter, go to YouTube community tab, vote for your person, vote for your team. That way next week we can see who has the best team, the best amount of points. That way they can have the first overall pick for whatever draft we end up doing next week. Yeah, Dylan, let's let's talk about last week. You destroyed me again. You were undefeated. It was close. It was close. I won won by a very tight margin, but yes, undefeated. 2-0-1 2-0-1 using these <laughs> soccer scores, using these, uh, sorry, soccer or football because we're out there in the World Cup right now records. Yeah, we don't talk about We got about ties out there. here. We got <laughs> ties out here. So I got to look to continue this undefeated track record. And in my heart, there's a clear number one choice, but I'm not going with that one because I feel like I can take mm-hmm. that one a little bit later. I want to go with something that I really do love, but I know a lot of other people love out there as well. There's probably better movies than this per se, but there's only one of this movie. And because, I mean, there's a lot of talk right now of Angela Bassett getting nominated for Black Panther Wakanda forever. But there's only one superhero-type character who's ever won an Oscar, and that's the Joker. But there's a few Joker movies out here. There's a few Joker movies out here. And my heart says to take the other one, but I'm taking The Dark Knight. Oh, that was one of my top two. 
I was really hoping you were going to go completely off my list. Oh, man. Well, okay. I kind of handed out what the other one was, so that one is completely off the list. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not taking the other one. So <laughs> I love that one, but I'm not taking it. Okay, Dark Knight, fantastic first pick right there. That is a really really strong first pick. I mean, it's one of the greatest action movies of all time. I'm not even going to say superhero movie. It's a great action movie. Heath Ledger is incredible. Uh, that's a great first pick, Dylan, and I hope that that's not a trump card as we've seen in previous weeks with you getting like Schindler's List right off the bat. And it, it shouldn't be a trump card. It shouldn't be. Because, yes, you could look at what person has like the best or your favorite one, but you got to look at the whole team because there's sometimes yeah. maybe the last link on the team brings it down a little bit. But I don't know. I, that's how I always vote when I look at stuff. It's like, okay. Like, even like if you look at like SAG Ensemble, you look at the cast and be like, well, obviously, Bill 1, Bill 2 are great, but what about Bill number like 6? Uh, they're still yeah. great. I'm going to pick that one over the one where it's a little bit lighter. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to go with my first pick, and I, I scoured this list. There's a lot of really not great films on the Billion Dollar There's Movie not. list. Like, I'm just going to go over a few that I know will not be chosen here today. We will not be choosing Frozen 2. We most certainly will not be choosing any of the Jurassic World series. Uh, we certainly won't be choosing The Fate of the Furious. Alice in Wonderland. You might choose Minions, but I'm going to say I'm not choosing Minions or Transformers or anything. But near the bottom of the list, there was a film that stood out to me as not unexpected, but one that I don't associate with things like, you know, Aquaman or, uh, you know, Transformers Age of Extinction the film that I'm going to be taking first is Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Okay. that that That's the what ultimate. I was, like, hinting at as, like, the, probably the right number yeah, one choice. It's, but... it's, like, it's one that doesn't... It's too good for the billion-dollar movie list. It's too good for the billion-dollar movies. I will say, you say it was towards the bottom. Return of the King at the moment is... I just looked Number at it 26. I lost it number 26 the dark so, knight is number like 50 before really wow before dominion passed it earlier this year the dark knight was the lowest grossing billion dollar movie of all time it doesn't wow. hold that title anymore dominion didn't pass it dominion barely crossed that billion dollar range well it's it's interesting to think with the lord of the rings because as far as i'm aware those movies like Every movie grossed more than the last one, and it was just like a growing spectacle where people wanted to see the next one more and more because of the previous one. Mm -hmm. So it is it is interesting to me that like The Lord of the Rings made $1.1 billion worldwide because uh, it doesn't seem like the type of movie that like really needed. I don't know. Like it's It's not one that I associate with the Billion Dollar Movie Club. Well, it's here. It's in it's it. Here. I want to hear what your second choice will be. Okay. Uh, I just learned that this was on the list because I think I saw this film on the list twice. And I thought to myself oh. that both of them oh. were the bad one. Uh, yeah. But one of them is very picking. much not the bad one. <laughs> no. There is, no. at number eight, John Favreau's The Lion King. But I didn't notice... That down close to the bottom of the list, at number 39, 
There's the 1994 Disney original, The Lion King. Get out Number of here two. With that. No. That's that's my that's my second pick right here. One of the greatest Disney musicals of all time. One of the, the greatest, greatest anim- animated films of all time. Um, a film that has my heart, has the people's heart. Um, has my we're, heart. We're gonna go for it. The Lion King is my number two. <sighs> Great. That kind of ruins my whole little strategy I had right here. I didn't know Isn't it was on the Lion list. King? You almost snagged it out from underneath. I me almost did. I, didn't know it was I there. almost did. Okay, I have two routes I can go here. I can go with the completely biased, and it's going to lose me the draft route, because I could go two movies by the same director, and that doesn't seem like the smartest choice to do. <laughs> I think I know what you're doing on this one. But I don't know which movie from that director to pick, so I'm going to leave them on the board, and if you want to take both of them, you could take both. If not, I could take the one that you don't take later on. However, we'll right now, I want to go with something that is a little bit... It may be a little bit early of a pick, but it's one that I feel like gives me another aspect and another dynamic of just what a billion-dollar movie is. Because I have The Dark Knight. I have that superhero movie feel. Mm -hmm. I have the more auteur-type pick. While it is a blockbuster, it's made by someone that's very beloved. And when you talk about beloved, that also brings you into the realm of family films and you picked the one i wanted with uh, <laughs> i think you're King. i think we're coming at this from a very similar angle i think you're gonna pick one of my next ones too so give me the other so you have probably the best disney animated film of all time so give me what a lot of people consider the best pixar movie of all time and that is toy story 3 oh god damn it god damn it dylan can't i can't believe a... you've done this hey it's all fair. You got Lion King, I got Toy Story. I know. Well, yeah. I think there is a better one between the two. I don't want to verbally say that loud because I'll make you look <laughs> bad. So I'm gonna let everyone out there say which one they like more when they vote here. So we each have a auteur's take on a blockbuster. We each have an animated film. And here's where the draft gets a little bit hard. Like I mentioned before, if there's two movies by the same director, I would love them both. I don't think it's smart to take both, but I also don't think it's smart to pick one over the other because you're giving the other one the other one for free very late in the in the draft. Mm. So that leaves me with having to step down a notch a little bit here for this next pick and not take what I think is the best film on the board, but take something that I think is a very good film, just not one of my favorites of all time. And looking at what's here, I think... I have to go for something that some people may not draft at all, but I am taking it because I want 007 on my roster, so I want oh, Skyfall. Oh, nice. That's a good pick. Um, that's one that I'm like, I was thinking of as a sleeper, but... Yeah, it was yeah. in my round five picks, but because my round two picks are still on the board, I can move up a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good pick. Very good pick. I mean, it's one of the best, if not the best, James Bond movie. Um, Judy Dench is incredible. Javier Bardem is a fantastic villain. And plus, it looks beautiful. Roger Deakins gives some of his best work ever. But, you know, for my next pick, I'm going to have to go with one of those films that you just left on the board. One of the, the films yep. that you were talking about between uh, that director. Now, I know that these films get a lot of uh hate from a lot of people but i think that at least one of these films has just an overwhelming base of love and is still talked about to this day despite being like you know 25 years old at this point Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna bring titanic onto my team 
Uh, Titanic is the one yeah. between the two of them. Yes, Avatar is a film that I deeply love, but I think if we're looking at just pure general likability, Titanic is the ultimate four-quadrant movie. It is a film that is made to be watched and loved by everyone across the board. Uh, this is a film that very much was designed with everyone in mind. It can appeal to young people with the action, older people with the period piece. It can appeal uh, across, you know, it's it's both a romance that appeals to young women uh, and a disaster movie that appeals to older men. So, mm -hmm. you know, there you go. Uh, the ultimate four-quadrant movie. Fair enough, fair enough. Why? That's why I didn't want to have to make this pick here because I didn't want to have to pick between my personal favorite and what is probably the more consensus type favorite. So, I really like that selection. I think that is a steal to get here in the third round. Oh, totally a steal in the third round. Now, this is the part where I'm gonna have a little bit more issue. Okay, just give me one moment here. Yeah, I am looking oh, wow. here at what I want here, and there's, like, a few movies here, but I'm also looking, like, I probably shouldn't have picked Skyfall there. I'm looking at something that's probably a little bit better of a pick for Skyfall to get that same type of, like, mm -hmm. feel and emotion out of people. Okay, you know what? I am gonna go to the very bottom of my list. Um, okay. I'm gonna go to one that I wasn't thinking of as, like, the most brilliant pick here, but... The more I think about it, the more I'm kind of sold that this might just be the best pick that I can make at this point. And that... Don't be it. Don't be it. That is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's <sighs> Stone. Okay. There's okay. two Harry Potter movies that are on on the potential. Yeah. And we've got... I'm deathly hollows just part two and we've yeah got... i'm just gonna say now deathly hollows part two is my next pick so we can talk about both of them right here let's do it so personally like deathly hollows used to be my my favorite film of the of the franchise but what i'm going for here is just pure magic because philosopher's stone or sorcerer's stone as you would know it because uh, you are an american and it was released as sorcerer's stone there and Philosopher's Stone, like, everywhere else. But uh, this film, to me, captures the magic of Harry Potter. I think it's the one that people think of most when they think of what this series means to them. It's the entry to Hogwarts. It's not the big, scary craziness. It's the family stuff. It's the, the learning about the world of Harry Potter, hearing about the houses, being immersed in Hogwarts for the first time. Is it the best film in the series? No, no, it's not. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be Prisoner of Azkaban, which is not a billion-dollar movie. Correct. But the thing that I think makes this film so special um, is just the way that it it builds the magic. It's the foundation on which everything else sits on. And ultimately, if I'm going to watch one of these films as a standalone without the rest of the series, Deathly Hollows. It's just a big fight scene, really. In the end, it yes, it has emotional impact, but that emotional impact is nothing without everything that came before. Philosopher's Stone is a film that I could throw on at any time and just be like, yeah, yeah this is magical. You made great points there. You made great points. 
Deathly Hallows, I agree with your take there of it does not really hold weight without the rest of the franchise. But with all that being said, this is the movie that every Harry Potter fan ever wanted. This is the one that culminated in everything throughout that whole time. And honestly, I'm struggling to make a case here. No, no. I think you have a case to make. I think you have really like i mentioned before the skyfall pick skyfalls like i should have gone with one of the harry potter ones and then i could have got skyfall on the wraparound here because it's the same thing with the the, the cameron movies i just don't know which one's better they, they both yeah. have great things that they present to the table there's very different things the reason why i'm struggling with my case for deathly hallows is the exact case i make for another movie is the opposite case that i can make for deathly hallows because deathly hallows is what culminates and which brings everything together and all those years all those hours all that commitment that went into it it's rewarded here well if my final pick i could pick avatar but i want to uh, be different <laughs> everyone's like dylan's obviously gonna get avatar but i just said earlier that uh way of water is better so it would not make sense for me to take the uh the worst of the two and i'm looking here and neither of us have a movie from this franchise even though it's uh some would say it's the I, biggest franchise of I all think, time. I think I know what you're doing. And as I said, Deathly Hallows is the culmination of everything. And it may not stand on its own. There's another movie that people said was the culmination of everything, but it does stand on its own. And that is Avengers Infinity War. Ooh, I would have thought you would have went Endgame. Uh, Endgame, we uh, we talked about this on the Discord We have. We've ago. talked about this. And Endgame, this is probably going to lose me a lot of points out there. Endgame sucks. Uh, oh, game is boo, bad. Boo. The game is awful. I will, I've watched the game three times. I think I started out a six and went to a five, and now it's at like a three. Endgame boo. ruins everything about Infinity War, and, and in my eyes, it ruined the MCU. That's a discussion for another day, though. Wow. I completely disagree. Uh, to me, I actually think Endgame is much stronger than Infinity War. Take in it every, here. Take in it here. every way. I, I don't want a Marvel movie on my team. The <laughs> I know which movie I you're probably picking, am though. Picking, I want to hear you guess. Is it the oldest movie on this list? Let's see. It might be. It 93? might be. You saying that makes me want to pick something else. <laughs> um, well, don't, don't let no. me sway you. I'll do it. I'll pick it. I'm picking Jurassic Park. There you I've go. picked it in there another team. Um, I think it's one of the, the giants of this list. It's one of the, the biggest films on this list. It's one of the most important films on this list. I know you're not a big fan of it, which is why I left it till till round five. Um, but ultimately, if we're looking at the blockbuster, if we're looking at what a billion dollar movie is, you cannot miss Spielberg. Spielberg mm -hmm. is the billion dollar movie. Yeah, he, he doesn't have many on this list. I think Jurassic Park might actually be his only one on the list. It is. It's the only Spielberg here. Which is very interesting but to make a film about uh to make a list of blockbusters i feel like having spielberg on there is essential this is he he is the blockbuster spielberg is not just the most important director in cinema he is cinema itself uh and yes. jurassic park none of the films that have come out since you look at avatar you look at avengers the entire mcu you look at um the star wars films that have come out since from uh, phantom menace all the way until uh rise of skywalker None of these films, Transformers, you know, none of these films on this list would exist without Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. 
I think what's really interesting is what is still on the board here. Because if you go down this list and look at movies that weren't picked, that people are like, how did this not get picked? You, of course, have the Avatar, but that's because Titanic was picked. And I want to break away from uh, the mold here. Endgame, because people were like, what? Endgame? Endgame's like the GOAT movie. How's it not here? No Star Wars movies were picked, which no, I thought no was very Star interesting. Wars. I don't think either of us are big Star Wars guys, though. I I do know that. I, I know neither of us are, but I'm still I'm sure like outside people are like, what do you mean no Star Wars movies were picked yeah. in the like ten best billion dollar movies of all time? One I really wanted to pick, I just didn't have the space for it, was Top Gun Maverick. I really wanted it. Mm. Just if I would have had the two three pick, I think I would end up getting it in the later rounds, but because I did get Dark Knight, because I did get the animated movie of that one two punch, and then I took Skyfall in three, like I was like, maybe I shouldn't have taken it here. I don't know. That's where I lost the ability to get Maverick because I knew I wanted to end with Infinity War, and I just didn't know what that 3-4 kind of combo would be. And yeah. I think another very interesting one that wasn't picked because I feel like this may be a more personal take here, but to me it just seems like this screams like someone would have taken it, would be one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. If I, I literally, in the middle of this, control f um pirates just to see if curse of the black pearl was crossed uh, a billion but it wasn't it's at 600 million um mm-hmm. i don't care for any of the other uh pirates movies i'm fine yeah. i mean dead man's chest i like well enough but it's not curse of the black pearl which is one of the best action movies of all time but you know what film is the biggest shock that it was not drafted here alice in wonderland i can't Honestly, believe we didn't take alice in wonderland I think it would be really fun to do the uh, draft the 10 worst movies here one day because that would be a very interesting list. And I feel like you and I would get a lot of hate for some of our picks that we would take there. Ooh, Honestly, I think I'd pick Lion King 2019 in the exact same place. (laughs) I fucking hate that movie, man. I hate it so much. Well, I may finally get the chance to take minions if that's the case. But yes, let's run through these teams real quick so everyone out there yes. can go vote for who they think has the better team. So I ended up drafting The Dark Knight, Toy Story 3, Skyfall, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, and Avengers Infinity War. And I drafted The Lord of the Rings Return of the King, The Lion King 1994, not 2019, that goddamn travesty. And then I picked Titanic. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone, and last but not least, Jurassic Park. Well, thank you everyone for tuning to this edition of Fantasy Film, but we went over a lot today. Way of Water finally came out. We both loved it. I hope everyone out there loved it too. We were both planning on seeing it again. Let's see who sees it the most times in theaters. You beat me with the first one because I've only seen it once in theaters. But next week is a big week. We got a lot of short lists coming out. So it's time to see what these real contenders are in the technical categories. It's something I can't wait to talk about. But until then, my name is Dill. And my name is Matt. And this has been, as always, Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning to this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.